How you doing, church? What are we at, Ronnie? Is this week seven of kingdom culture? And I still haven't ran out of swag. So we started this series a while ago called Kingdom Culture. And if you're just joining us, uh, it just means a, a, a group of talks where, you know, it kind of has a common denominator. And we've been talking about this phrase, kingdom culture. Jesus, about 2,000 years ago, began bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. He started that process. And in fact, he said, that's why I came. He said, I came to bring the kingdom of God down to earth so we could begin to experience it in the here and now. And, and then the culture can be defined as a, a way a certain group of people walks and talks. And so we've said from the beginning what this series is about and what we want to be at, about as a church family is we want to live in such a way where we are walking and talking with the kingdom of heaven in mind, so much so that we start to create a kingdom culture on earth. See, what happens is, is we put our faith in Jesus, and, and not only are our sins forgiven and we're granted eternal life, right, with him in heaven, and if you've never done that, you can do that before this service ends. You don't even have to wait till the end. You can do it right this second, but I'm going to walk you through it in a minute. But we also, his, it says his spirit begins to live inside of us. And it allows us to go through crazy times and crazy situations with a peace and a joy and a strength and a confidence that we didn't have before. And that begins to change the way we walk and it changes the way we talk. And now we're doing so with this like kingdom culture, common denominator in our lives. And it, it creates a new culture in every room we walk in, every court we step on, every neighborhood we drive into, every dinner we sit down at. We bring this kingdom culture with us. And, and I want to start today by looking at some kingdom words, some words that should describe our life when we're living with the king's spirit inside of us. Would you put those three verses up? I'm going to read them fast, but you'll, we're going we're to break it down here in a minute. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We're told that there is joy in our salvation with God. That's supposed to be a word that defines who we are when we're living with the spirit of the king inside of us. Jesus said, peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything who, through Christ who gives me strength. That's the fourth word, joy, peace, confidence, and strength. These are supposed to describe who we are and how we walk and talk with the king's spirit in our soul, in our heart. The problem is, is we know that that's not always the case, right? The problem is, is it's 2020, a year that none of us on this planet saw coming, a year that will be written about in the history books from this point forward. Oh, we're going to get through COVID but we'll never forget it. Our lives will never be the same because of it. History has changed because of it. And, and, and in the middle of it, if we were to come up with some Earth 2020 culture words to describe what we actually feel and what the people we love and the people around us are feeling, it might not be peace, joy, strength, and confidence. If we're honest, it might be things more like fear and worry and anxiety and depression and let's be honest, COVID did not bring these things into the world. We know that. But it has accentuated every single one of them. I read article after article after article this week about what COVID has done 
just to those four words in our lives, and everything you read will tell you those things have never been more on the rise in our lifetime than they are right now. So you got earth culture words, fear, worry, anxiety, depression. You got kingdom culture words, peace, joy, strength, confidence. And the truth is, as Christ followers, we know this is where we're supposed to live, but we feel like we're stuck here sometimes. And, and isn't it true? It doesn't even take COVID to do this to us, but it doesn't help. But like we can be doing amazing on paper and be really struggling in our soul, can't we? You ever had one of those days where you're like, I don't even know what my problem is. Like on paper, look at my life. Look at how many people around the globe would do anything to have my life on paper, and yet I can't kick this anxiety right now. How many people just in our city would do anything to have my life, and I can't kick this depression right now, right? And it's not new, but 2020 hasn't helped. 3,000 years ago, though, believers were asking the same question. 3,000 years ago, people like the amazing King David the one who defeated Goliath with a slingshot, the one who became the greatest king of the nation of Israel, the only human that God said, that guy right there, he has a heart like mine. He's got a heart after me. If you read the Psalms, you know David makes it a practice of just being really honest. That's what I love about David. He's just honest. He's like, I'm not going to pretend. On paper, everyone should want my life. Right? Right? I'm the greatest king there's ever been. But then read the Psalms. And he talks about fear and he talks about worry and he talks about being overwhelmed by situations and overwhelmed by fears and overwhelmed by emotions and overwhelmed by even anxiety and depression. Just read chapter 42 this week. Just in that one chapter, he says, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't function, I'm crying in the morning, I'm crying in the afternoon, I'm crying in the night, I'm overwhelmed by emotions. And this is the guy that on paper should have the best life of everybody. But he says, I can't shake it. In one verse, he talks about anxiety and depression. In verse 40, chapter 42, verse 5, he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Oh, if you've ever dealt with depression, what a, what a great way to describe it, isn't it? My soul just feels heavy and dark and distant. I want to hide Joy feels a million miles away. I feel downcast, right? That's depression. He says, but I also know anxiety. Why so disturbed within me? If you've ever dealt with anxiety, what a great way to describe anxiety. On paper, everything should be fine. Or look around. This is why my life is falling apart, and this is why I should. But there, I can't. There's no peace. It's, it's so disturbed inside of me. It's so upset. It's so upside down. It's so in a hurry. It's so tangled. David knows. On paper, things should be great, but I can't kick some anxiety and some depression and some fear and some worry. And get this, he also knows like we do, he knows he's got a calling on his life. He'll never forget the day that the prophet came to his house and said, God told me that the next king of Israel is in this house. And his dad brings in all the boys except him. And the prophet's like, you don't have another son? And they go get David. He's out chasing some sheep in a field. And they bring him in. And the prophet said, that's the one. God has spoken. He's going to rule the entire nation of Israel. That's the one. He's got a calling on his life that scares him to death. Come on, we know what that feels like. 
You ever known you've got a calling and you're feeling afraid? <laughs> I'm called to pursue God. I'm, I'm called to pursue people. I'm called to help some people. I know I'm called to reach out. I'm called to stop doing this thing. I'm called to start doing this thing. I'm called to be generous. I'm called to, like you just know God's got a call on your life, but you feel afraid. I'm called and I'm scared to death. That's David. I'm called can't shake anxiety. I'm called, can't shake depression. It's David. It's not new. 2020 hasn't helped, but what we're facing is not new. And what David does in chapter nine is he writes himself a prescription for depression. And I love it. And, and, and actually, I came across this last year when I was at counseling and, and I took a picture of my Bible this week. Go ahead and put that up. I wrote this over a year ago, and I put medicine for depression. I put everything I'm about to read as all choices, but it definitely is medicine for depression. I've been waiting a year to preach this sermon. David writes himself a prescription because he knows I'm called, but right now my emotions are, it's not working out. So I'm not gonna wait 20 years to have peace and joy and confidence and strength. I'm not going to wait till my situation gets better and everything makes sense because let's be honest, it won't. He says, there's some things that I just know I can do right now today and it will help me start to experience the peace and joy and strength and confidence that I have been already given access to and I'm called to walk in. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Let's read that Psalm 9, 1 through 3. Here's his prescription to himself, and now we get to learn from it today. He says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. Notice every one of these starts with a I will. I choose to do this in the midst of my depression. I choose to do this in the midst of feeling anxious. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. And what happens? I'm going to write it down because I need to remind myself today what happens when I do these things. My enemy has to turn back. My enemy has to flee. My enemy stumbles and dies right in front of me. I will flat out defeat the enemy by telling my Father in heaven how thankful I am, by telling somebody else how grateful my God is, by choosing to remember and rejoice over what he's brought me through, and choosing to stand up and worship his name, even when my situation doesn't make sense, I'm going to walk and talk with the King's spirit in my soul, and I'm going to create a kingdom culture everywhere I go. It's a, it's a prescription. And, and I was reading it this week and started to do some some background on this passage, and a lot of theologians say he wrote this shortly after and about, no matter where, when he wrote it, he wrote it about the day he defeated Goliath. So get this, crazy miracle, right? He defeats a guy that the entire nation of soldiers was afraid to fight, and as a boy with a slingshot, he defeats him, and later he goes, I got to write about this, because David already knew this won't be the last giant I face. And next time I start, and sometimes, and, and we know from, from his writings, his giants were oftentimes his emotions. His giants were oftentimes anxiety and depression. And he's going, I'm going to face these giants again, so I got to write this down now, so the next time I face one, I'm equipped. 
Next time I feel depressed, I'm going to do this. Next time I feel anxious, I'm going to do this. Next time I feel afraid and worried, I'm going to do this. And he writes this out. And you know what? The whole thing, it's, remind, it's reminding himself to remember, I've been here before. That's what this whole passage is. In fact, that's the title of today's message. I've been here before. He's reminding himself to remember what God has done because it reminds him, this is not my first rodeo. I've been here before. I'm going to get through this one as well. I've been here before. Last summer when I was in counseling, I went to, for those of you who might not know, you're like, this guy's jacked up. You don't know the half of it. I went to seven weeks of anxiety counseling last summer. And one of the therapists that I worked with on a, I met with him two to three times a week, all he helped me with for a few weeks was panic attacks and claustrophobia, because for me, they go hand in hand. I would, I, would, I would get on a plane, and the door would shut, and I start to feel trapped, and I start to feel claustrophobic, and then I have a panic attack and freak out. Or, or sometimes it would happen in my car, or sometimes it would happen in a crowded room, or sometimes it, it would always happen when I would get on an elevator. He's like, tell me the last time it happened. I was like, well, I got kicked off a plane on the way here for having a panic attack after the door shut. He's like, all right, well, what's the smallest space you hate? And I said, elevators. He said, when's the last time that affected you? And last summer, I was like, well, a couple months ago, me and my wife were in New York with our friends, Emma and Luke Bryant, and we were gonna go to the top of the Empire State Building. Because why wouldn't you? You're in New York. It's iconic. We're gonna go to the top, the observatory. We're gonna have the best view over the city. It's gonna be amazing. And so we buy the tickets and we get in line and we do the thing and then we get up to the very front and this guy goes, and the little elevator opens up and I went, I'm not getting in that thing. Guys, it was the tiny, I'm like, this is a gigantic building. That little elevator is all you could come up with. It looked like a service elevator. It didn't even have real walls. You ever seen those elevators? You know what I'm talking about? They have like blankets for walls, like furniture pads or something. I'm like, if this is the level of excellence we put together this elevator with, I'm not getting in it because I know it's going to get stuck. It's worked for 47 straight years, but when I get in it, it's going to get stuck. And so my wife and Luke and Emma get in and Jill's like, babe. And I went, babe. She goes, "Ah, honey. I went, "Ah, honey. I'm not getting in it. Because what I'm thinking is, is like, A, they didn't put, they didn't, they didn't even finish this elevator. They didn't even have appropriate walls. Or maybe it did, and on the 87th floor, it got stuck, caught on fire, killed everyone in it, and melted the walls. I don't know. It's, it's nebulous, as Michael Scott would say. I'm not getting in it. So they go to the top. I stay on ground level. I go to Starbucks. I get a cold brew. They come back down. And all day, every time we come up near a building, they'll be like, you know what? Remember when we were up at the observatory and we saw this building from above and it was just amazing. And I was like, eh, so was my cold brew. I missed out on an experience because of anxiety, didn't I? And so this this therapist was trying to help me with it. And so one day he's like, okay, um, let's work on that. And I was like, all right, let's. And so he goes, come with me. And we go over to this other part of the building and we get in an elevator and the elevator gets in between two floors and he hits a stop button. And then he takes a little key out of his little magic key ring and he locks it, puts it back in his pocket. I'm like, well, we're gonna fight (laughs) till I get that key. (laughs) Guys, I'm not even kidding. 
He's like, you can do this. I start having a full-on panic attack. And for me, it starts with my chest gets real tight and all my chest muscles constrict and I can't breathe. And I start like hyperventilating and I'm walking around this elevator and I'm like, Matt, you gotta, and I start, I literally start crying and I'm like, and, I, and, and, and I'm shaking and I'm sweating and I can't breathe, full-on panic attack. Matt goes, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I think I want you to let me out because I can't, I can't do this. And he goes, well, or we can fight through this. I will, I'll let you out if you want, or you can make some headway today and you can fight through this. You can start to use the things that you've learned to deal with panic attacks. He's like, remember what we learned? Where in your body do you feel it? Start to welcome it. Start to remind yourself it's just a thought, it's just an emotion, it's not you, it's not who you are. You know why you have these things, but you just don't need it today. And, and I started using all these tactics that I've been taught. And, 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 and like a train, I just started to watch it go away. And pretty soon, I don't know how long it was, it felt like a year, but pretty soon, I started to, I started to calm down a little bit. I wasn't breathing, I started breathing better. Stopped crying. Then Matt, and I knew what he was doing, he was like, Tell me about your workouts these days. I'm like, I know this counselor trick, but I'm gonna tell you anyways. <laughs> we started talking about our workout. We started talking about parents. We started talking about kids. We started talking about family. And pretty soon he goes, hey, Sean, you wanna know how long you've been in this elevator? Stuck in between two floors? And I go, how long? He goes, two hours. He goes, you can do this. Now, since that day, I've been in countless elevators. Every time I get in an elevator, I have the same thought. Every time. And it's, this could get stuck. And before last summer, my reaction every time was, so I better run. And I get out. Now, I get in an elevator, and my first thought every time is, this could get stuck. And my second thought is, that's okay, because I've been here before. I've been through this. This is not my first rodeo. I can survive because God's got me through something real similar before. I've been through this. I've been here before. Some of you need to start getting this in your spirit. Yes, you're going through some really crazy stuff right now, but don't you remember? It's not the first time. This is not the first time you've struggled. This is not the first time you've needed God. This is not the first time you've needed him to pull you up from something you couldn't get out of on your own. This is not the first time you've needed a miracle in your life, in your family, in your health, with your finances, with a relationship. You've been here before. You can do this. And that's what David's doing. He's reminding himself, I've been here before. And here's how he does it. Let's break this down. First, he says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. Notice he does not say, I'm going to be grateful. He says, I'm going to say thank you. There's a difference. I can't tell you how many times I've been walking around depressed. And if you would ask me, well, are you grateful for God for what he's done? Yes, I'm grateful. Okay. When's the last time you told him? Because being grateful and saying thank you to God are two entirely different things. I'll never forget a dinner at Rib City when my kids spilt their third drink of the night. 
and the waitress comes over to clean it up, and I looked at my boys, and I'm like, say thank you before this lady kills us. And I remember one of my boys, after she walked away, he's like, Dad, we're grateful. I'm like, I don't want you to be grateful. I want you to say thank you. There's a difference. And David knows there's something supernatural. The way God created us, it's hardwired inside of us. There's something supernatural and divine that happens to our emotions when we say, thank you, God, for. It just is. I remember a pastor told me one time, he's like, you know why you're so depressed? Because it's all you talk about. All you pray about is your depression, because I, I was telling him my prayers. He's like, all you do is pray about how depressed you are, and all you talk to other people about is how depressed you are. Why don't you spend some time this week just saying thank you? Stop being grateful. Start saying thank you, and watch what God's going to start doing in your life. There's some freedom that happens. There's some joy that takes place. In fact, I'll go, we'll go to another place just to sort of cross-reference this thought. The Bible actually says that saying thank you to God literally brings joy into our life, which defeats depression. Listen to this, Psalm 126, one through three. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. As we say thank you, we begin to experience a new joy, which begins to take depression and defeat it. Saying thank you literally brings joy into our life. Saying thank you, God, for fights against fear, worry, and anxiety. Paul tells some of his great friends in, in Philippi, he says, you don't have to be anxious about anything. Here's the key. Yes, pray, do some petitioning, but the whole thing has to happen on this foundation of thanksgiving. And when that happens, when you go talk to God about what you're thankful for, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something supernatural will happen in your spirit when you say, thank you, God. And I just want to challenge you, church, the same thing I challenge myself to do all over again this week. Don't just hear this and go, mm-hmm, that's good. Go home today and make a list. And don't just look at it. Don't just meditate on it. Speak it out loud to God in prayer. Get up tomorrow morning with this list and go, here's how I'm going to start today. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank Watch, you'll st your, your whole day will change. Just spending some time saying, thank you, God. Say it out loud in the morning. Say it out, out loud at lunch. Say it out loud at dinner. Watch what happens to your levels of joy and peace as you do this. So let's get real practical with this stuff. Don't be grateful tomorrow. Go to God and say thank you. Amen? Number two, tell somebody else. He says, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I'm not just going to be grateful. I'm not just going to even tell God. I'm going to go tell somebody else. I'm going to go to somebody else and brag on God. I'm telling you, church, we need this. Because what we do on autopilot is go to somebody else and complain. Go to somebody else and hope that they enter into our pity party that we're having for ourselves. Come on, I, I do this stuff on a professional level. I can throw a pity party for myself. And, and we love to do that. And David's like, I can do that. There's a time for that. But today, if I want to fight some depression, today, if I want to fight some anxiety, I need to go call somebody up and start bragging on God and just, you know what, man, I love you. How's it? Oh, man, I think the Nuggets, oh, we need this game. Come on, baby, let's go. Uh, hey, man, but before we go, can I just brag on God for a minute? Bro, let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. 
and I have never deserved it and earned it. But I just gotta tell somebody. Something happens within us. See, we've been keeping this stuff, we've been keeping this stuff unspoken for too long, haven't we? There's something that, for some reason, we've got this, this thing in the back of our mind that says when it comes to prayer requests and when it comes to bragging on God, I should just keep that stuff to myself. And both are absolutely the opposite of what the Word of God teaches us. We're supposed to go to people with our junk and say, pray for me and let's hold each other accountable. That's where healing happens. And we're supposed to go to each other and brag on God. I, I, I didn't grow up going to church, uh, but and I was talking with Andrew and some of the guys about this today. But there was a season in our lives where my mom took us to church. And uh, it, it, was, it was interesting. And maybe some of you know this experience. I would argue with my mom, no matter what she told me to do, six days a week. But somehow Sunday rolled around and she spoke with a new authority. You ever experienced that? Like Sunday, she turned into a Jedi. Like she would ask me to do things all week long. I wouldn't do them and I'd argue. And on Sunday, she'd be like, oh, you're going to church. And I'd be like, I'm going to church. I don't know how it worked. But so for a while, I went to church as a little kid. And I went to Sunday school classes, a little bitty church in a little bitty town. And every Sunday school class before church, pre-church, had a little pre-church. And it was always with some kids about my age, usually about six of us, always twice as many girls than boys. Kind of one of the reasons I went. So there's about usually standard size Sunday school class for us was about two boys, four girls, and every time Donna, our amazing Sunday school teacher, would have a stand up in a circle and very uncovid friendly way, hold hands, and we were going to pray. And she asked the same question every time. And if some of you grew up in Sunday school, you're going to remember this. She would say, I want, let's, let's talk about prayer requests and praise reports. Anybody have a prayer request? Anybody have a praise report? And nobody wanted to say anything because we're kids and we're nervous. She'd go, okay, we're just going to go around the circle then. And she'd start with one of the boys. And he'd be like, oh, uh, my my dog's eating his poop again. Um, I guess guess we'd pray for him. Um, There's always a pet prayer. Somewhere in the prayer, there's always a pet. Somebody's pet always had an issue. And then the other one of the other guys would be like, "Uh, uh, you know, I I, I cut my knee. You know, I fell and... I don't want it to fall off. So, I mean, if we could pray for that, I guess. You know, and then you go to the girls, and one girl every single time, if you're in Sunday school, you know this happened. One girl every single time had a prayer request for someone in a far off distant land, right? It was my cousin's sister has a friend, and her friend has a little brother, and he plays hockey with a guy. And they just, and if, it's, if we could pray for Johnny, right? It happened every time. And every time, Two, minimum of two girls would say this. I have a prayer request. It's unspoken. You know what I'm talking about, Sunday schoolers. I have a, I have a prayer request. It's unspoken. And I remember, like, I was new to church. I'm like, well, then what are you doing here? Like, what? That's stupid. How am I supposed to pray for you? Like, and then we have some praise reports. It should be like, mm, oh, God, it's so good. Mine's unspoken. And I seriously was like, you're ridiculous. Go home. Like, we've been keeping our praise requests unspoken for too long, church. And it's robbing us of the peace and the joy and the strength and the confidence that sharing with each other God's goodness is supposed to do for us in our life. It's not okay anymore. There's nothing heroic about keeping everything to yourself. 
We're supposed to share our crap with somebody else. We're supposed to brag on God with somebody else. It's how we were created, and it helps us defeat depression and anxiety. One of the best cures for depression is stop sitting there by yourself, A, because that's the worst thing for you. Call somebody, ask them to pray with you, and brag on God about something. Watch what happens in your spirit. It'll start to change. Revelation 12, 11 says this, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You call somebody else up and say, hey, I just got to brag on God for a minute. It helps you defeat fear, worry, anxiety, and depression. It lifts your spirit, but it also can be used to cause a, a, make an eternal difference in someone else's life. That's how God set it up. He says, I want you to share with somebody else when I do something. Go brag on me. God does not need our bragging. Trust me. He doesn't need our thanks. He created the universe with a word. He doesn't need us to say anything. These are not self-serving things. He knows how he created us, and he knows that it will lift our spirits when we speak about our gratitude and we brag on his goodness with somebody else. It'll change us from the inside out. So my challenge is, is, don't make this a church amen thing. Make this a, I'm going to go do it today thing and call somebody up and talk about whatever you want. But before you get off the phone, go, hey, before I let you go, now I just got to brag on God for a minute. You'll deal with your negative emotions. It'll uplift your spirit and it'll speak life into them. As Michael Scott would say, that's a win, win, win scenario. <laughs> Speaking of Douglas Weckenman. That's two Michael Scott quotes in one message. The gauntlet has been thrown. I dare you to compete with that. Number three, he says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. What he's telling himself is, I have to remember I've been here before. I was looking up different definitions of, of the word rejoice, and, I, and one of them was this. Being conscious of God's goodness and grace. In order for us to rejoice, we have to actively engage our memory and we have to remember back to when God was gracious to us so that we can get excited about it in the present. We have to on purpose remember when God was gracious, remember when God was good, remember when God brought us through something so that we can get excited about it again today. The only way to rejoice is to remember I've been here before. I can't rejoice unless I first allow myself to go back to when he did something great, remind myself I've been here before, and get excited about it in the present. I've been here before. I just have. And, and this is not like fancy church talk. I'm telling you, this is how we were created to live. This is what David's doing. He's writing himself a note saying, I got to remember to remind my, or I'm reminding myself to remember I've been here before. When COVID hit and the church shut down, we're like every other church, scrambling. What? I mean, any other time, at least while I've been in ministry, if there's any tragedies that happen in the world, people run to the church. This one was different. This one shut down the church. You couldn't run to a church building, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And we got 100 employees, and they've got families we have four giant buildings in just in Denver, not to mention the prisons in Brussels, Belgium, and Austin, Texas. And what? We can't use any, our buildings? And so we got together with the financial board and we started making some tough calls. All right, let's assume 
that the church just stops giving because this whole thing's about to fall apart and what do we do? And okay, first we start cutting salaries and, and I let them know, I go first, my salary goes first and then we're gonna cut everybody's salary and then we're gonna have to start letting go of people and there's gonna be tears and there's gonna, like we, we crafted a whole plan. But I want you to know, and I mean this, and, and if you know me, I'm anxious prone usually. I have not lost one wink of sleep over the church finances in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And it's not because I'm some hero of the faith. It's because I just know I've been here before. We were, we were one, two years old as a church, and, and I remember the day I, like it was yesterday. Me, Chad, Todd, Scott, and BZ, we sat in a circle, and we did not have any more money, and we thought we were going to have to email everyone in the church and shut down. And we literally were talking through, like, what should the email say? Like, guys, I know, we tried our best. We love you so much. We're so disappointed. The uh, fire marshal had come to the building, said, you have to make $8,000 worth of changes, or you can't have church anymore. 8000 might as well have been $8 because we had nothing. So we're like, I guess it's over. Scared to death, can't sleep, can't eat. What are we gonna do? Do we email the church? I don't know what to do. We just sat there and prayed, God, do a miracle because we're overwhelmed. And you can't make this stuff up. The next day, I get a call from a pastor I hadn't talked to in years. And he said, hey, I was praying this morning and God told me to send you some money. How'd eight grand do? I was like, I will kiss you through this phone. And he sent us eight grand that week and we paid all the bills and we didn't email anybody and we had church that weekend and we're still here 15 years and running. So yes, I don't know where the finances are going to come from, but I've been here before. So I don't have to lose sleep. I don't have to be overran with fear and worry and anxiety and depression because everything's uncertain. I've been in uncertain times and God has always brought us through. So since he got me through that, he's going to get me through this. I've been here before. It changes things. And that's what David's doing. He's saying, you got to remember, remind yourself to remember you've been here before. And lastly, he says this right before the enemy flees and dies in front of me. This is what I do. I will Sing the praises of your name, O Most High. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. I've been remembering. I've been reminding myself. I reminded myself just this week because, you know, him, he's, he's probably all somber and sad and sorrowful and about to write one of those, dear God, why have you forsaken me psalms? And he goes, but I'm going to remember back because I remember there was a day when a lion tried to kill me and God got me through it. And then a bear tried to kill me and God got me through it. And then a giant tried to kill me and God got me through it. And then they told me I had to be king and it scared me to death, but I stepped into my calling anyways and God got me through it. And so, yes, I'm anxious and yes, I'm depressed, but I've been here before and I'm going to stand in faith. And that's what I'm asking you to begin doing with your own life. Yeah, finances are weird right now in 2020. And for some of you, it might be catastrophic feeling right now. It's not the first time you've needed God to do a miracle. Relationships might be rocky. Job might be really uncertain. That dream that was in your heart might feel like, oh my gosh, the whole world has changed since you put that dream in my heart. 2020 did not come as a surprise to God. And he wants you to know today, remember when I took care of you before? Remember what I pulled you out of? Remember what I saved you from? Remember what I healed you of? Remember what I brought you through? You've been here before. Stand here with some confidence. I got you now like I had you then. And so David says, now, remembering that, I'm going to go ahead and throw my hands up and just worship. And, and worship team, you can come out. And if this is your church, you know 
I am passionate about this. I do believe worship is a weapon that allows us to literally go to battle for the very peace and joy and strength and confidence that we've already been designated. I believe worship lets us go to battle for that kind of stuff. It just does. And David, David knows the importance of it. And here's, here's what I love about David. Here's what he knows. When, when life is really, really good, I can, I can worship. But when life is really, really bad, I have to worship. So we get this twisted, don't we? We, we, we use worship as like a celebration dance, right? Life is good. I'm going to throw my hands up. And we can do that. Amen. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We mourn with those who mourn. On our good days, we praise. On your good days, we praise. But here's what David knows. On the good days, worship is fun. On the bad days, it's my lifeline. It's essential. Here's what he says. And here's what I want you to get to. I'm so depressed today. I have to worship. Not I'm going to wait till I feel better. I'm so depressed today. I have to worship. Now, I've been, in that, I've been in that mode where it's like, I'm so depressed, I have to worship. And I'm like, I, I, I can't even muster out a word to just put on a song and be. And let, let whoever sang that song sing the lyrics for you for a minute and just be in it. Maybe you can just hum. Maybe you can whisper the lyrics. Maybe you can put a hand up. But what I have learned is on my worst days of anxiety, that's when I have to worship. On my worst days of depression, that's when I have to worship. And that's what David says. He says, I have created this, this, this prescription for myself. That's what he's doing. Because I know Goliath wasn't the last giant I'm going to face. So the next time I face a giant, I'm not going to let fear and worry and anxiety and depression just take root in my life and let Satan just win and not put up a fight. I'm not waving a white flag. I'm hurting today. My soul is heavy today. I'm in the middle of some stuff today. I'm not waving a white flag. Even if it starts out with a whisper, I'm going to tell my God, thank you. I'm going to tell somebody else what God's done for me. I'm going to remember what he's brought me through. And I'm going to worship in the very presence of my enemy until he literally dies in front of me, trembles with fear and runs away. That's what we're going to do, church. And, and I was so excited to talk about this passage with you for the last year because a year ago, I literally had like a personal revival moment with this passage of scripture. And, and I wanted to tell you this before COVID ended because I had this moment by myself at a house. Some of you gotta stop waiting until the church is reopened to worship. It's fun to come to worship here. It's essential to make worship a part of our lives. And I had been in at the lowest point of literally my entire life. And this house I was renting in Washington where my counseling was had a, had a, had a billiards room, little, little room that they had a pool table in. And I think I used it once when my kids came to visit me, but I, I turned it into my prayer room. Well, one night, some stuff just happened and life just happens and my anxiety and depression and whatever was going on hit an all-time low, and I literally hit the, like, like I crumbled. I crumbled to the floor, and I don't know how long I laid on that floor, and I'm just bawling and bawling, and I remember telling my wife, it hurts so bad, it hurts so bad, it hurts so bad, and she would just lay there with me, and I'm talking about the crying and the snot and the, just gross, like the most humiliating moment of my life in front of my wife for sure. 
And on that floor, I decided that night that I told my wife, I said, it hurts too bad. I can't get through this. I need to end my life. I know that pain. And I just want to tell anybody who's watching or listening right now, if you're feeling that pain right now, don't you dare do anything stupid. Listen, Satan's biggest lie in this moment in your life is that somebody would be better off without you. Your loved ones would be better off without you. I can promise you, nobody on this planet will be better off without you. And everyone in your life will deal with sadness for the rest of their life if you do something stupid. And I know you don't feel it right now because your emotions lie. There's going to be a day when you're going to turn around and go, oh, thank God I didn't. Because look what God has done. But I was there and I was like, babe, I'm going to end my life. Well, it got better. And a few days went by and I finally got out of bed and I started worshiping. And my family went home and I took my Bible and I was sitting in a chair and I read this, these, these three verses we looked at today in Psalm 9. And I went, you know what? I can do that today. I'm in a house by myself, but I can do what this is saying. And I went and I took the Bible and I put it on a bar stool and I took the bar stool and I put it on the floor in the very spot where I told my wife I wanted to end my life. And I reminded the enemy that I was putting the word of God straight over him. And the very spot where he thought he'd take me out, I was going to turn into a revival service. And I just started praising God. I started texting my friends. God has been so good to me. I started worshiping. I started reminding myself of what he's brought me through. And I'm telling you, I had a personal revival time by myself at home. And that's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Have some revival time worship services by yourself at home. All right, this has been a long service. I don't care. It's COVID. What else you got? I'm kidding. We're all busy now again, but I'm going to take five more minutes and then we're going to worship. I was sitting in that room and I filmed myself on my phone. And honestly, when I started, it was because I wanted to do what David did. I wanted to create a reminder for myself. I wanted to remember that moment of victory because I knew that that wouldn't be the last time I felt depressed. And so I start just filming myself about what had happened. And I don't know what happened in the middle of it. I started talking to some pretend audience. And I think I started thinking like someday I'm going to talk to you guys about this. And so it started with something. And, and, I, and I've only shown a couple people in a year because it's, it's honestly, I'm kind of a wuss in it. And it's pretty humiliating. But this week I asked a couple people, I said, hey, should I, should I share this with the whole church? And they were like, man, I think it would help somebody. I'm like, well, then let's go. And so this was me in that room where all that stuff happened, getting excited about these three verses that we just looked at. And I'm hoping that Revelation 12, 11 happens, that as I'm sharing my testimony, God uses it to literally start building your faith in such a profound way. It just takes you by surprise. That's my hope. All right, watch this. I'm sitting here in Edmonds, Washington. This house I rented has this little pool room. A few nights ago, I had the lowest night of my life. In fact, I uh, laid right there on that floor. I laid there for hours, just sobbing. Jill just laid there with me. Kept putting her arms around me, just telling me I was going to make it. 
telling me I could get through it. And honestly, I, I didn't believe her. I didn't think I could. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to change. I remember begging God, like God either in the pain or in my life. And then I just stayed there calling on God, scared to death. I started slowly to feel his presence. Eventually I was able to get up off the floor, but all I could do was cry. Snot was everywhere. It was awful. I kept telling Jill, it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. I just never thought it would end. And I've done nothing for the last few days, but literally call on the name of God. I haven't known what, what to say, and it's been real messy, and I would hate to have a recording of my conversations with God the last few days, but what I do know is somehow, after the lowest point in my entire life today, somehow I feel stronger. I feel like, like look what God brought me through. And if he can get me through that, like I don't think there's anything he can't get me through. Like what can life throw at me? What can Satan throw at me? What are you gonna do? Trying to hurt me till I cry and wanna die? I've been there. What are you gonna do? Reject me so that I, all I can do is lay on a floor in confusion and wish I wasn't even here? I've been there. <laughs> you gonna say I'm not good enough? You gonna, you gonna claim I'm weak? I've never felt weaker. Somehow, I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, somehow, God pulled me through it and I feel stronger. I do, I feel stronger now. In fact, I'm in that same room and I'm standing in that exact place and I'm doing that. I'm giving thanks to you, God, with all my heart. And I'm telling everybody who will listen and I'm choosing to rejoice and I'm just going to sing the praises of the name of the Most High God. That's what I'm doing. I'm here listening to Corey and the Red Rocks worship team rock breakthrough and I'm having a revival. I'm standing over the exact place that I couldn't get up from. And today I'm claiming breakthrough in the name of Jesus over my life, over my boy's life, over my wife's life over our church family's life. And if you're watching this, I'm claiming breakthrough over your life, that no matter what you're going through, no matter how low you feel, that there will be a moment when you call on the name of Jesus and he starts to fill you with his presence and he gets you through a situation. I'm believing he's gonna get you through a situation that you never thought you could get through. And you're gonna get up on the other side. You're gonna stand up tall. You're gonna stand over the very place, the very thing that you thought was going to take you out and you're going to proclaim from the rooftops that your God got you through it, you're going to find yourself stronger than you were before it ever happened. In Jesus' name, I'm believing for a breakthrough. Come on, somebody. Come on. <laughs> uh, would you guys stand up? Hey, if you're at home, I challenge you to stand up too right now. And, and, and I asked Corey, I said, Corey, would you sing a song from our last album? Would you sing Breakthrough today? 
And, and church, I'm just, I'm, I'm asking you to lean in, to start to believe, yeah, I'm, I might be facing some uncertain stuff, but my God has always got me through. And, and, and after he has, I've sang breakthrough. I've thanked him for those breakthrough moments, but today I'm gonna praise him until I see a breakthrough moment. Today I'm gonna praise him until I get through this moment because I've been here before, right? We can do this, church. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you're working. I thank you that you're speaking. I thank you that you have a plan. With everyone's eyes closed, I wanna ask two questions. The first one is this. You don't have a relationship with Jesus and you just know, I need some real breakthrough in my life and I know that I know it starts with me giving my life to God. Today, I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins and become the Lord of my life. Today, I wanna to follow you, Jesus. I'm not gonna be perfect, but I know that's where my journey needs to start with you right now. I choose you, Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand no matter where you're at, in a home, in a car, at the gym, in an office. If you're watching live and you can, hit that raise a hand button underneath and we're gonna, we're gonna get in touch with you. We're gonna send you some free resources and we're gonna help you, but this is the best life-changing decision you've ever made. The second question is this, you already have a relationship with Jesus, but the truth is you need a breakthrough. You know you're called to something, but the truth is more times than you'd like to admit what you feel is fear and worry and depression and anxiety. And today you go, uh -uh, enough. God, I need you. God, I know you've brought me through some things before and I am on purpose remembering that today. And God, I'm thanking you today, but I need you to supernaturally bring me through. I need your peace and joy and strength and confidence. If that's you, raise your hand and we're gonna pray for those things. We're gonna claim those things in Jesus' name. God, we stand on your word today in the middle of crazy situations, in the middle of the craziest year of most of our lives. We stand on the truth of your word of God that in the middle of it, you're with us. You don't forsake us. You don't leave us. We can come to your throne room of grace with confidence. There is joy in your salvation. Jesus, you said it yourself. You left us peace. We don't have to be afraid. We can stand tall in confidence. We can stand tall in your strength, not ours, but yours. And we claim that today in Jesus' name. And I thank you for those who are making a first-time decision, God, today to put their faith in you. I pray that they would sense your presence in such a unique and a special way. And God, for every single one of us, as we call on your name and speak breakthrough in faith, I pray that you would be honored and glorified and that we would be that we would be uplifted, that our faith would be strengthened today, that we would feel some weights come off our shoulders as we just put everything in your hands and praise your name and thank you for the breakthrough that is on its way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, church, let's worship.